place is this church. In the Baptist church, uh, married a Nazarene girl and became a Baptorine. <laughs> so uh, I'm more like you than you think I am. And uh, I want you to know that I love your pastor and his wife and their family greatly. Uh, we are, um, pardon the expression, but best buds. We, we wouldn't, uh, I'm going to tell you, we, we just love each other and we have a common a common desire to see as many as possible accept Jesus before it's everlasting too late. I, um, I want to preach a message this morning uh, that if I could preach uh, one message to every church in America, this would be the message that I would preach. And I, I want to share it with you, and, uh, and I sincerely come to you with the depths of my heart saying that this is what I, what I would say to any church in the, in the United States of America. It's based in Hebrews chapter 11. Most people know this chapter as the faith chapter. I call it the chapter about those whom God has used. As you read this chapter, you'll find out that it's an amazing, amazing story of how God has used his people, the stories of individuals and families collective, down through the centuries. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me. So we're going to talk about today being used of God. I just would like to read a couple of verses for you before I begin to preach. Hebrews 11.3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, God spoke and it happened. God spoke and it was there. A lot of people say, how in the world do you explain the earth being so long, so old, if it, we've only been around four or 5,000 years? Let me tell you, when God created this earth, he created it with age in it. Adam was a man. Eve was a woman. He they had the seed within him. He created everything with seed bearing in it and of kinds. And it's amazing to me that God spoke it into existence. And, and what an incredible thing. And if you don't believe that, you've got a problem. Uh, we, we, we really need to realize that he is God. The second thing has been one of my favorite verses down through all of my life, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, um, I want to be used of you again today. I want to be a blessing. And I pray, Father, that you'd help me know where to hurry and where to slow down. And I pray that you would flow through this preacher today and that your work would be done in our hearts and that we'd not miss what your spirit wants to say to us. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I grew up in a home uh, and that my dad loved baseball. And uh, we lived in a town where there was not a major league baseball team. We lived in Nashville, Tennessee. Country music is here to stay, by the way, folks. But we lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, my dad loved the New York Yankees. One of the few things that we did together as I was growing up is we'd sit there by the hours and watch the New York Yankees play baseball. Matter of fact, I knew all the statistics, Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra and Tony Cuba. I mean, I knew all of them. I knew it very well. Matter of fact, my dad didn't think you were right with God if you didn't like the Yankees. I mean, it was, it was just kind of the way he was. But uh, I remember growing up wanting to be a professional baseball player, and I got very good at baseball, and I was, I was, I was the MVP in our city and doing all that kind of stuff, and I just thought, I'm going to play one of these days. One of the most exciting things for me to do is to play ball in Yankee Stadium. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to be a baseball player and do that. But a football injury 
my senior year through that all the way, and I lost uh, scholarships, and I knew that I would never, never, never play uh, professional league baseball after that injury. Well, I decided after we got married, my wife and I had two children, and 10 years later, we started to have two more and joined the Abraham and Sarah's Club, and, 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 and after we had our first two boys, our third son was born, and after he was uh, old enough to leave behind for a, few, for a few days, my wife and I and our two older boys decided we were going to take a vacation, take a little trip up to New York City, because I was going to New York City to catch a foul ball. I wanted to go there and catch it, and my, and my boy said, Dad, you're crazy. There's 50,000, by the way, the capacity for Yankee Stadium is 50,291. And my boy said, Dad, you're crazy. You're, there's no way you can go to the Yankee Stadium and catch a foul. 50,000 other people have been trying to catch a foul ball. You couldn't catch I said, we're going to Yankee Stadium. We're going to catch a foul ball. He said, okay, Dad. We got on old People's Express. You remember the plane? And we flew up there to Newark, and we went over to New York City, and we spent a week there. And we went to a ball game one day, and I, I went there, and I studied how to catch foul balls. It is a science. I want you to know this. I'll explain it to you. And we went there and we watched and I studied that entire game where most of the foul balls went. And I knew they go to first base, side, upper deck. You check it out. That's where most of them will go. And so we decided to come back and I said, the next game we're going to come and see. We're going to come see an afternoon game. We're going to get, we're going to get second, uh, the second deck there. We're going to get on the first base side, first row seats. That's where we're going to get. And my wife said, I'm going to stay at home and read and so she stayed there, and she was in the hotel room. So my two boys and I, Mike and Barry, my older boys, they went with me back up to Yankee Stadium. So I went there, and I said, I'd like to purchase two tickets in the, in the upper deck on the first row. And they said, we don't have any. We've got, we got a second row. And I said, that'll work. That'll work. I'll be in the second row. That'll be fine. So we were there in 1983, August the 23rd, almost 31 years from just coming up this, this August. In 1983, we were there many, many years ago, and we were sitting there on that second row, and we were watching the game. It was about the sixth or seventh inning, and Tony Phillips was up from the Oakland Athletics. He was batting, and Dale Murray was pitching for the Yankees, and I never will forget. I, I, I'd been studying how to catch a foul ball, and the key to catching a foul ball is jump second. You don't jump first. If you jump first, you get your hand burnt, but you jump second, you can get that foul ball, and I was sitting there on that second row, and there was, there was, a, there was a Puerto Rican guy sitting beside me. He'd been there for 25 years, he told me. He'd been coming to Yankee Stadium for 25 years, and my two boys to my right. Well, about the sixth or seventh inning, the, the, it was two, to two, two balls and two strikes, and I said, well, probably Tony's not going to be the one that's going to hit me in my ball. And the boy said, Dad, you're crazy. You're crazy to think you're going to catch a foul ball in Yankee Stadium. Well, about that time, they, they Dale Murray threw the ball, and Tony swung at it, and all of a sudden the ball started coming up toward us. And it was like everything went into slow motion. <laughs> and I saw that ball coming up, and there was a guy right in front of him, big, tall guy, probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He, he was reaching up to get the ball, and I kept saying, don't jump first, jump second, don't jump first, jump second. And he reached up, and that ball hit him right in his hand and popped out, and I took that ball out of the air like taking an apple off of a tree, and I put it in between my legs, and a whole bunch of people kind of over there. My boy said, Dad, this is unreal. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. The guy next to me was from Puerto Rico. He said, man, he said, I've been trying to catch that for 25 years. He said, you catch it after two times here, and he said, can I see it? I said, you're not seeing my ball. You wouldn't give it back to me. No, you're getting my ball. You think you can't catch a foul ball? My, my second son caught a foul ball in Royal Stadium. My fourth son caught a foul ball in Philly Stadium. Let me tell you something. It's great to catch foul balls. It's a lot of fun, and you can do it if you study it. 
But I'm here to tell you today that the greatest thing in all the world is not to play ball in Yankee Stadium. It's not to catch a foul ball in Yankee Stadium. It is to serve the church of Jesus Christ for which he died and gave his life. The greatest thing of everything is to serve the church. And we're here today to have an opportunity to serve the church and make a difference in our community and make a difference in our world. I would have loved to play ball. I would have loved to have done that. I've got that ball. I looked at it this morning. There, I've got it in this little glove, and it's sitting in my office. It's been there for 30 years. But let me tell you, that, that pales in comparison to serving the Lord these, these 42 years of preaching the gospel and sharing the good news. Let me use the word used this morning, U-S-E-D. And I want to use each one of these letters of this word to, uh, to be kind of a mental peg on which you can hang some thoughts and you won't forget uh, this message this morning like you normally do your pastors. And, and it'll help you remember the message this morning. But first of all, I want you to understand that God wants to use you. He wants to use us. He wants to use us in incredible ways. If you, if you study Hebrews chapter 11, you will see that there were many in there that God used. For example, take, take verse 32, Jephthah, who was a son of a harlot. God used him as, as a judge. What an amazing thing when you think about that. But when I think about it, I think, my goodness, it's amazing. Uh, uh, when, when, you know, I don't come from a long line of prophets. I, I really don't. There are more felons in my background than prophets. It, 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 it's just amazing. Uh, I've often said that when God called me to preach that they flew heaven's flag at half mask and the angels wept and told God, you really made a mistake on this one. There's no way he can do anything for you. You see, the reason I say that is on my mother's side of the family, there's 16 children. On my father's side of the family, there are 22 children. Out of 22 children, my dad is the only one that ever accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. On a foxhole, in a foxhole in, in Germany in World War II, my dad gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, if you get me back home to my wife and my little girl, I wasn't even born yet, if you get me back there, I will serve you all the days of my life. And my dad did that, and he served the Lord. And I'm in the church today. My sister's in the church today. My brother's in the church right this morning worshiping. But it started with my dad. You see, when I was a, when I was a little, matter of fact, my, my grandfather was, was a bootlegger. Um, he actually, they called him a fruit butcher. He was in the north end of Nashville, Tennessee, and he had two mules, and he had a, had a wagon there, and he had fruit on the top of there, but the fruit always rotted because he was selling illegal liquor out from under it. I, I, don't, I don't have a long heritage of preachers. I just, I just don't. Matter of fact, if you don't know what a bootlegger is, ask, ask your pastor. He knows what a bootlegger is. But I come from that. I remember as, as, a, as a boy at just six or seven years of age, I, I would go out with my dad on the west end of Nashville, Tennessee, to this incredibly huge facility. I remember those whitewashed walls, and, and, and the walls were real thick, and on top of those walls were these bob wires all down these walls. And, and we would go there, and we'd walk into this inner, inner, inner uh, room there, and, and these big guys would come to me as a little boy, and they placed their hands on me to see if I was taking anything into that facility. And I, I remember going into that facility with my father, and I would hear just those steel doors, just one after another, just, just slam shut, just slam shut as we were making our way into the, the belly and bowels of the Tennessee State Penitentiary to visit my uncles. My uncle Milton was there a lot. Spent a lot of time there, and I'd go visit him. And he he um, he worked in a leather shop, and he he would make billfolds and stuff like that. And I, I remember going to see him when I was just about seven, eight years of age. And he said, "Come here, Kenny boy." Now my name's not Kenny boy. And of course, in the South, it's Billy boy, Bobby boy, Kenny boy. You know, 
and that's just the way they do it there. And, and so he gave me this leather, leather billfold and had KBC on it. And, uh, and my initials are KRC, but uh, he had KBC, and he, said, he gave it to me, and he said, look, he said, I love you. He said, uh, he said I want to give this to you. Don't come back here. And I said, uh, I'm not planning to come back. He said, no, I want you to come and visit me, but don't, don't come back here. Do something else with your life. You see, it's an amazing thing to be raised in a family like that in family history and, and finally understand that God, if you're here this morning, you think can't, God can't use you, he can use you. I wonder how the Lord could love me so, how he could even look upon my face, and yet his great salvation now I know because of his compassion and his grace. I wonder if my life reflects his love. Can others see what Jesus means to me? Do I cause men to lift their eyes above and see the Christ who died to set them free? When I think of his greatness and his power and all that he's done for me, then I bow in my own unworthiness, and I wonder how could it be that he would choose me? How would it be that he would choose me to preach his word? What, a, what an amazing thing. I don't know who you are here this morning, but you needed to hear that. God wants to use you. You're very special. Don't be tied to your past. Don't be tied. Don't be chained to your past. You might have got your looks, and you might have got the way you look from your parents, but you get faith from your Heavenly Father, and he can change your life, and you can have an incredible future because he really wants to use you. He wants to use you in an incredible, incredible way. Well, U stands for understand that God wants to use you. S is surrender to be used. I love the story about Enoch in, in this chapter, verses 5 and 6. Enoch lived 365 years. That's my goal. I'd just love to live 365 years. Wouldn't that be great, man, just to live for the Lord? He, trans, he was translated physically to heaven. He was totally surrendered. Verse 7 says that he just, or he, I mean, the scripture says he just he was taken up to be with the Lord. Went on a walk one afternoon, and God said, won't you go home with me? And I said, I think I will. And he just went home with the Lord. What an amazing thing. Verse 7, Noah was totally surrendered. And by the way, the new movie that's coming out, Noah, I want you to tell you, Noah was a righteous man. He was not an evil man, as that movie portrays. And by the way, I want you to know that uh, it's very amazing that uh, Noah, Noah was not an evil man. And I don't want to say any more about that, but I want to tell you, Noah was a righteous man, and God used him in a tremendous way. And he, he surrendered himself, and he saved his family. It didn't make sense to him. I mean, he waited uh, 120 years. Uh, to, to do what he was doing, but God wanted to do something very special for him. But it takes surrendering if God's going to use you, and especially if we talk about giving. A lot of times people don't realize that money is the cheapest thing God's got. He doesn't need our money. We need to give it. And he needs it in a, in a he, well, he'll use it after we give it to him, but we need to give it to him in a very special way. One of my friends is a former congressman from Ohio, Bob McEwen. Bob tells the story about his brother who took his little boy I was about five years of age, out for French fries one Saturday morning. Bob didn't really, uh, his brother didn't really care about eating at McDonald's, but uh, his little boy liked French fries and a Coke, so he thought he'd spend some time with his little boy, just he and his little boy. So he took him there one morning, and he bought him some French fries and, and a Coke, and he sat across from him, and they were having this little conversation. And, and, and Bob's brother said, uh, Bob tells a story about his brother, said right in the middle of the conversation with his little five-year-old boy, his brother reached over to get one of his little son's fries. And his little five-year-old son said, no, mine, mine. And Bob said, it just, uh, his brother said, man, it just broke my heart. He said, man, doesn't he realize I'm the source of his fries? Doesn't he realize I don't need his fries? I can buy my own fries. Doesn't he realize that I've got the power to be able to take the fries away from him 
if I want. Matter of fact, doesn't he realize I can bury him in fries? Doesn't he realize that? And he said what really hit him the most was that his son, his young son there, had not learned yet the importance of giving back to your source. And what an what a incredible Christian thing that is right there. Many of us, we think that everything, folks, let me tell you, you're not going to take a U-Haul with you to the grave. Let me tell you, God owns it all, and God wants to do incredible things in your heart and your life. And there's no way that you can outgive an omnipotent God. Matter of fact, Proverbs 19.17 says, If you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and he will pay with recompense. He will not be a debtor to you. God is sovereign, and God in a sovereign second can repay everything that you give to him. But he, he, he knows that you need to give it, and we need to give it. I remember when we first uh, received a call to go to uh, Puerto Rico as missionaries, my wife and I have had the privilege of working in over 30 countries, and we've enjoyed that. And, and, and what, a, what a joy it is to get teach missions here at the college and, and to share some of the stories that, that God had, has, has allowed us to experience. But I remember when we first were going to Puerto Rico, we took a large cut in salary, and we went from making a very good salary down to about $700 a month. And, and it was a very, very, uh, a, a very a big adjustment for us as we were going there. But I, but I remember the, right before we left, there was a lady in our church um, in Ironton, Ohio. I was pastoring there. She came up, and her name was Mrs. Richmond. And she said, Pastor, she said, God's been telling me about your move. And he said, uh, he, he wanted me to come and bring you something. And I said, okay. And so she handed me an envelope. And she gave me that envelope, and she said, don't open it. She said, open it tonight when you have devotions with your family. But be sure to tell your family that God wants me to tell you that he's going to take care of you while you're missionaries. And I go, wow, that's amazing. Okay, so I went home that night, and we had our devotions, and I gave it to our older son, Michael. And I said, Mike, I said, Ms. Richmond came by and gave us this envelope, and I said, would you open this? She told me to tell our family that God was going to take us when we went to the mission field to be missionaries. And so Michael opened that envelope, and and he looked at it, and it was $1,000 in $20 bills. He says, wow. I said, it's not for pizza now. It's not for pizza. I know that. I heard what you're thinking. And he said, Dad, what's this for? I said, I have no idea what this is for. I said, I know God knows we're going to need this. We flew to San Juan, Puerto Rico on June the 3rd, my wife's birthday. Always remember your wife's birthday. Forget her age. Okay? Uh, June the 3rd, we moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico um, on June the 3rd, and we got there and unloaded and got there in the compound. And when we got out, the phone rang. Her dad had just died. That meant that we had to get back on a plane, fly to Atlanta, Georgia, drive to Dalton, Georgia, where we, I would have the privilege of preaching the funeral for that precious saint who knew the Lord in a great, incredible way. Would you like to guess how much two quick round-trip tickets cost to go from $1,000? Let me tell you, when you get there tomorrow, God's already been there. He knows all. You can't surrender past an almighty God. He knows all about you. Now, that's, that would be interesting if that story stopped there. But at that funeral, there was a young lady that came to that funeral. Her name was Joanne Taylor. And Joanne came to me after the, uh, after the funeral. She said, Dad sent me here to the funeral, and I wanted to come anyway. She was like our nanny for our kids growing up. And she said, Dad told me that you can't buy that land anymore. See, I had planned on buying five acres of land and, uh, and building a retirement home there in Tennessee, and, and I wanted to buy that land, that, the farmland there. And uh, I knew after I became a missionary, I couldn't buy that. And, and she told me, she said, uh, Dad told me to tell you, you can't buy that land anymore. And I said, what, what's wrong? Have I, have I made Aaron mad? I mean, she said, no, 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 he loves you like you're his son. I said, you couldn't make him mad. He told me to tell you he's going to give it to you, and he gave me five acres of land. And he helped me build a retirement home there. 
And we've sold it and reinvested here because we love Hot Springs. We're here to, it's either heaven or nursing home right here for us. I mean, we're here. But let me tell you, I said that to say this. There is no way, listen to me, that you can surrender past an almighty God. He can take care of you. Whatever you plan to give today, you probably ought to bump it up a little bit. I tell our people all the time, I, I hope at least four or five guys in our church will try to outgive God. Just try it. it you, there's no way you will ever surrender past the care of an almighty God. Well, E, e stands for enthusiasm. I've been around the church, been preaching for 42 years, uh, and I've noticed that most Christians act like they've been baptized in vinegar. They really do. I mean, it's like, uh, well, bless God, I'm here again today. You've got to serve the Lord with enthusiasm. I, 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 I love the story of Abraham. Abraham never lost his enthusiasm. Even God told him to take his only son and sacrifice. And Abraham said there in verse 19, I know that even if I do kill him, God will raise him up. I'm, not, I'm going to serve the Lord even when it looks bad. I know, folks, when you're down, let me tell you, when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. I want you to know God is working in your heart and your life. It's an amazing thing. And I think about it all the time. What is it? Why, why do people lose their enthusiasm? What, what's the reason that most people just, just kind of get to? Get, well, the reason is they, they sit on the front row all the time. Not, not literally here, but what I mean is that they just stay in their home church and they don't get out and do anything. Uh, my, my favorite verse in all of Scripture is Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Spread witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. That's my favorite verse. That's my life verse. And I want to I not just stay in my home church here in my own little group right here and take care of that. But, I mean, we've got to rescue the perishing. We've got to go out in our own community. We got, matter of fact, um, I, I, just, I just love what you do here. I just do. I just, I just love it. I love your pastor. I love what you do. Uh, let me just tell, sir, I never told you this story, but... Uh, when I, was a, when I was a young preacher, I, I, was a, I was a director of evangelism at a church in, in Tennessee, in the north end of Tennessee in Goodlesville. And we had a bus ministry. I had 10 buses, and we, had, we owned 15 because you had to have 15 to have 10 that would run. Amen? Okay, so we had 15, but we ran 10, and I was in charge of that. And we averaged about 350 kids in our children's church there, and I was in charge of that. But I remember I got so excited about that, and I was just, I was just thrilled about it. And I came home one day, and my wife was sitting on the, on the bed, and uh, and. Uh, and she said, what are you doing? And I started throwing $20 bills at her. She said, you've robbed a bank. You, I mean, this is terrible. You've robbed. I said, no, no, I robbed a bank. She said, where'd you get that money? I said, well, I went to the bank and got some money. We're going to buy a bus. She said, going to buy a bus. I said, yeah, we're going to buy a bus. We're going to fill it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. And we went and we bought a bus. <laughs> and uh, back then, you could buy a bus for about 800 bucks back in, in the early 70s. And we bought a bus. And we said, we're, we're going to give ourselves, and we're gonna do it. And you know what I got so excited about? I mean, I was putting myself on the line, and I was out there knocking on doors eight, ten hours every Saturday, winning people to Jesus. I mean, it was the most exciting thing you've ever seen. And then, and then we started going, becoming missionaries. It's an amazing thing. And the way I like to tell the story is, is like this. Remember Jesus was feeding the 5,000? And, and the scripture says that uh, he, he, he blessed the fish and he blessed the bread and it multiplied. And then, then he set it down. And you read the scripture, says he set them down in rows. They were organized. They were rows and rows of 50. And the disciples went out there. There was row one, row two, row 20, row 50, row 500. And it was an amazing thing. Can, can you just get the picture right here? Jesus uh, gave his disciples uh, the, the bread and the fish and said, now I want you to feed my sheep. And they go to the first row and they give the first row just a big helping of fish sandwiches. Man, they're just eating to their heart's content. And then instead of going to the second row, the, the, the disciples go back and feed the, the first row a second helping. And then a third helping. 
And then a fourth helping. And somebody back on roll 400 goes, hey, what about us back here? We'd, we'd, like, some, we'd like some fish sandwiches back here on row 400 too. And they look back there and the disciples go, oh, I see that hand. We're going to pray for you. And just pass the fish. And then some fool preacher up on the front just keeps passing them on the front row. You know why I'm kind of crazy? I lived a lot of my life on row 500. I've been in third world countries. I've seen the poverty. I've smelled the, the, I mean, everything is so pronounced in, in, in third world countries. I've seen poverty. At its, in, in, and right here in this city, I've seen that. I mean, it's an amazing thing. One of the things that will give you enthusiasm is not only just to give of your resources, which is the easiest thing in the world to do, but give of your time and your talent. Somebody needs to pastor a bus, bus route. Somebody needs to teach a Sunday school class. Somebody, somebody needs to go out soul winning. Somebody needs to do those things. We need to do those. I tell you what, it is hard to get discouraged out serving the Lord. Give yourself away and do that. And I, I've tried to give my life away like that. It's amazing what can happen if you do that. And then D is a dedication that never dies. I love the story of Noah, too. Noah took 120 years. You can't usually get people to do anything for 120 days. But 120 years, and he did not give up. He kept going. He kept building. Abraham didn't give up. Joseph didn't give up. My goodness, the life of Joseph in the midst of all kinds of difficult situations, he would not give up. And I've seen, what, what is it that causes us to give up? We give up so easily sometimes. How, how in the world do we give up so easily? We just, we just back up so easily. It's amazing to me how, how some people just, just take this word and push it aside and quit, quit following Jesus so, 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 so readily. I, I, uh, I love to tell a story about going to Guyana. Uh, I used to work in a lot of different countries in Central America and South America, and I was over Guyana and Prince Guiana. And, and Guyana, if you go to, Guyana is a very interesting country. If you go to the Burbese side and the Demarada side, the Demarada side is the more the African descent. You go to the Burbese side, it's the Indian descent. And then if you go on down, down into the southern part of Guyana, it's the Amerindians who are the, uh, who are the indigenous Indians to South America. And that's where I kind of concentrated and I'd worked there. So we took a fact-finding trip down there. And if you and I, Pastor, you and I wanted to go there today, it would take us two solid days to get there. The last trip is a five-hour boat ride down a, down a river, the Dimarada River, which is, which is, or Essequibo River, which is about a mile wide. It's like 27 miles wide at its mouth. It's an incredible place. And you go down there, and it's, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's such a big river that the saline content goes on 50, 70, 75 miles into the river uh, down, downstream. It's amazing. But you go down there, and when you get there, you find a little village called Oriala. Oriala is the Amerindian Indian word for bauxite because in the ground there's bauxite and it's white, kind of like over here east of Arkansas, and there's bauxite in the ground, so they call it Oriala, white ground. That's what it is there. And so when you go there, you start seeing the white on the ground. You see these Amerindians. It's an amazing thing to, to go there and to go bush hog hunting with them and, and just be there with them. Do all kind of, it's just an amazing thing. So we go there, and it was a preparation trip to take a medical team, uh, an educational team, and a construction team. And so uh, we went there, and four or five of us uh, took a doctor with me, took a dentist with me, I took a construction guy with me, and there's four or five of us there. And so we went there to do all this field work to get ready to go there to help the Amerindians. And so we get there, and they have a little old small church there that's kind of bamboo-type church. And so that's where we would sleep at night. There's no incandescent light there. It's very dark. Uh, there's no running water except the river. 
And uh, don't, by the way, you don't want to lose your soap in the river because you can't never find it. I mean, it's just a, it's just an amazing thing when you're there in, in, far in the jungle. You're just way in there. There's no, there's no help. There's no 7-Eleven. There's, there's no Cracker Barrel, unfortunately. There, they're just, they're just, there's just nothing there. I mean, it's amazing. You're in the jungle, and it's so hot, and it's so, I mean, you sweat profusely, and, and uh, you know, the, the ants are big enough to stand flat-footed and whip a turkey. I mean, they're just, everything is big there. It's just a big thing, and so... We're going to sleep that night, and we, we lay down, and I tell the, the two guys, I said, Ramon, you, you lay over here by this wall, and George, who's a doctor, he's an emergency room doctor from Logan, Ohio, I said, George, you lay right here, and I'm going to lay right here in between you. And they said, well, what, 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 you got a plan or something? I said, yeah, I want you over here, and I want you over here, and I'm going to lay here. And they said, well, why do you do that? I said, well, if anything crawls in tonight, it'll crawl over you before it gets to me. I said, this is not my first trip down here. But we were, we were, we've been laying there for a while, and... Uh, and I, it hadn't been more than 45 minutes, and I heard George, the, the doctor, go, and he was doing like this. And so we got up and turned the light on, and I saw three hairy legs, tarantula hairy legs right there. I said, there's a tarantula with five legs very upset around here somewhere, and we've got to find him. And we found him in the corner, and the Lord took him home very quickly. But uh, I laid back down, and I was very tired. I'd been working a lot, and I uh, hadn't been seeing my wife. I'd been away, only home six or eight days a month, and I was getting very tired. And I said, you know, I don't have to have, I don't have to put up with this. I can call back to the states. I can call district superintendents all over the country. I can find a church. I don't have to put up with this. I'm just not going to let spiders crawl in me. I'm just not going to do it. And it just seemed like the Lord said, you big sissy, you're going to let a spider keep keep you out of my will. You, you, you need to be here, and you need to do this. You need to, and I, I really felt bad. I, tears started falling down my, my, my face, and the guys heard me crying. I said, are you okay, Reverend? Did he bite you? Are you sick? Or I said, no, I'm fine. I'm just talking to the Lord. I just had a bad thought. I shouldn't have thought that way. I was about ready to quit and give up, and I can't do it. That was many years ago. I just don't have those thoughts much anymore. I want to serve the Lord. I'm going to speak for him until I don't have any teeth, and then I'm going to gum the devil to death after I get rid of my teeth. I'm going to serve the Lord my whole life. Well, this and I close. We've heard a lot about airlines lately, haven't we? We've heard about the one that's missing so much. Well, back in 1984, Spanish Airlines, Avianca Airlines, there was a jet that crashed. Investigators were studying... They made an eerie discovery. They investigated the black box cockpit recorders, and those recorders revealed before impact a shrill, computerized, synthesized voice from the plane's automatic warning system told the crew repeatedly in English, pull up, pull up, pull up. The pilot, evidently thinking that the system was malfunctioning, he said, shut up, gringo, shut up, gringo, and he switched the system off. Minutes later, the plane plowed into the side of a mountain, and everyone on board died. That is a perfect analogy of many people in church today. You see, while I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit's been saying, he's telling you the truth. You really need to realize God wants to use you. God wants to do something with you. You really need to surrender. You know that little offering you were giving that you weren't going to fill? You need to give more than that. You need to surrender, because you can't surrender past an almighty God. And you know, you need to perk it up a little bit and, and act like your own coffee all the time like your pastor. Be excited, you know. Just, I just love being around Pastor Cafe. Be excited about Jesus. And then don't ever think about quitting. 
There is, there is no, listen, folks, we're going we're gonna to do this till the day we die and then all through eternity. We're going to sing praises to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're not going to give up. So the Lord wants to do something special for you today. He really does. As we close, I'm going to ask you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the scripture is so clear. All you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins. And on the authority of God's word, he will forgive you of your sins. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you can do that. And the pastors will be here to talk to you this morning if you want to do that. But if you want to just rededicate your life to the Lord this morning and say, you know, I've not been really doing what I was. I've not really been being used of God. And I want to be used. And, and my neighbor needs Jesus. And I should go over. And I've been thinking about going to talk. But I'm going to go talk to them. Or whatever it is, God wants to use you. And this morning I came and I wasn't planning on giving. They're always asking for money at church. They're always asking for money at church. Hey, God. God loves you, and God wants you to give, and God wants you to do that, and this is the time you can do that. You can surrender. Whatever your need might be this morning, I want you to come. I'm going to pray for you, and after I pray, I'm going to ask the pastors to come, and I want you to make a commitment. Defeat the devil and glorify God. Make that first step and surrender to him completely because he really wants to use you. He wants to use you in a great way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you so much that... uh, you looked down on my life and on my family and decided to use us and what a joy it is and I just never get over it. But Lord, I pray for this congregation. What a great congregation. What a great group of Christians. And I pray that you'd bless them, but perhaps there's one here this morning, Father, and I pray that you'd touch their lives, help them to have judgment day honesty, help them to come forward and to yield their life to you completely. And Father, perhaps there's been someone who's been walking at a guilty distance Help them this day, oh God, to step up and to get close to you and get close to the leadership of the church and to do what they know they need to be doing. Oh God, help us today to have a revival of being used of you. May you use this congregation. May you use them in incredible ways through their victory offering and through their commitments in these moments. And for all that you do for them, I'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together, shall we?